Okay, kid. Hey, think about this. You're with your 35-year-old daughter at the drugstore, and the clerk ignores you and only talks to your daughter. And how frustrating that must be to be of your sound mind. If I went somewhere and they didn't talk to me and they spoke to my daughter, I would be, I'd be hurt by it. I really would. That's Becky Salazar, director of the Egyptian Area Agency on Aging, talking about ageism. And as we heard last time from Mark Miller, host of the podcast Repurpose Your Career, boomers are ready to retire until they're not. If you have 30 years of experience, who cares if it's not relevant? Are you relevant? We'll talk to Mark about what boomers need to do if they want to return to the workplace. And finally, after putting it off for a few weeks, we'll hear how a stifling upbringing can result in tribalism. The fact that we, what we do share is that kind of really lack of, of intimacy and emotion growing up has affected all of my relationships as an adult. We'll finally hear how Kathy learned to have a discussion with her cousin rather than an argument through the intervention of a group called Better Angels. And we'll look at several studies on depression and air pollution, Alzheimer's in the eyes, AARP and insulin, and our usual spam segment. The news is next. Boomer News from OK Boomer. From Psychology Today, air pollution is emerging as an important risk factor for brain diseases and effects on short-term brain function. In this study of around 9 million American adults, air pollution exposure increased risk for developing late-life depression. Inflammation is a brain pathway that may explain the link, but other pathways may play a role as well. For years, various studies have probed the links between air pollution and risk for diseases, especially heart and lung issues. More recently, it's been shown that people inhaling higher levels of air pollution may also be at higher risk for brain conditions like Alzheimer's, worse decision-making, and depression. A research paper published in February in JAMA Network Open tracked almost 9 million Medicare participants in the United States to look at the relationship between air pollution and the risks for developing depression in subsequent years. In this cohort study, researchers plotted people's geography, determined exposure to three separate air pollutants, particular matter, nitrogen dioxide, and ozone, and then watched to see who was diagnosed with depression. The conclusion... Researchers found that all three forms of air pollution individually and in combination correlated with an increased risk for developing depression. It was notable that among the three air pollutants, higher levels of ozone exposure had the strongest link to developing late-life depression. Novo Nordisk is the second big drug company to roll back the prices of some of its life-saving insulin that millions of Americans use to control their diabetes. This is from AARP. The drug maker has announced that beginning on January 1, 2024, the company will lower prices of some of its products by 75%. Nordisk's announcement comes less than two weeks after Eli Lilly, one of the three companies that produce insulin in the U.S., announced that it will cut the list price of some of the older insulins later in 2023 and mirror the new Medicare $35 monthly out-of-pocket cap for consumers with private health insurance. And on March 16th, the third big insulin producer, Sanofi, announced that it will cut the price of its most popular insulin, Lantus, by 78% also in 2024. 
The moves by these pharmaceutical manufacturers are seen as responses to both the Medicare $35 out-of-pocket monthly cap included in the Inflation Reduction Act of 2022 and uh, a call by President Joe Biden during his State of the Union address in February that costs of insulin for Americans be capped at $35 a month. Now, I received this email from Medicare this week, and this is how it reads. Did you know one in five adults with diabetes don't know they have it? Tuesday was Diabetes Alert Day this last Tuesday. A great time to take control of your health. Consider talking with your doctor about diabetes to see if you're at risk. Now, Medicare Part B, medical insurance, covers diabetes screenings if your doctor determines you're at risk for developing diabetes. Now, if you think you may be at risk, talk with your doctor about Medicare's Diabetes Prevention Program. This program can help prevent type 2 diabetes and may be available near you. Medicare covers the program at no cost to you if you're eligible. So all you have to do is go on the web and look for Medicare, or what you can do is um, Google it. Now, it is said that the eyes are the extension of the brain. And a new study conducted by Cedars-Sinai in Los Angeles found that the first signs of Alzheimer's may appear in the eyes. This is before any other symptoms such as memory loss occur. A doctor can see directly into the nervous system by looking into the back of the eye toward the optic nerve and retina. The disease is well advanced by the time memory and behavior are affected. Cedars-Sinai investigators collected retinal and brain tissue samples over 14 years from 86 human donors with Alzheimer's disease and mild cognitive impairment. This according to the authors. And this was the largest group of retinal samples ever studied, they say. Researchers found changes in the retina correlated with changes in parts of the brain, which is a hub for memory, navigation, and the perception of time. According to researchers, the findings were also apparent in people with no or minimal cognitive symptoms, which suggests these new eye tests may be well-positioned to aid in early diagnosis. So, one day doctors may be able to use eye tests to identify cognitive decline soon after it begins, but before that person's memory is impaired. And now that the hard news is out of the way, let's have a cookie, an Oreo. Now, when you twist open an Oreo cookie to get to that creamy center, you're mimicking a standard test in rheology, the study of how a non-Newtonian material flows when twisted, pressed, or otherwise stressed. You didn't know that about Oreos, did you? MIT engineers have now subjected the sandwich cookie to rigorous materials tests to get to the center of a tantalizing question. Why does the Oreo's cream stick to just one wafer when twisted apart? I'm sure you were thinking about that every time you opened up an Oreo. Max Fan, an undergraduate in MIT's Department of Mechanical Engineering, says there's the fascinating problem of trying to get the cream to distribute evenly between the two wafers, which turns out to be really hard. So, the team subjected cookies to standard rheology tests in the lab and found that no matter the flavor or amount of stuffings, the cream at the center of an Oreo almost always sticks to one wafer when twisted open. Only for older boxes of cookies does the cream sometimes separate more evenly between the two wafers. The researchers also measured the torque and a bunch of other things, and they even uh, built a machine. And if you want to get a hold of them to figure out how the machine works, check out MIT. And now it's time to check out some of our scams. Spam callers. Now, this happens to me at least once a week. I hear my CBS cell phone ringtone. 
but I don't answer because I don't recognize the number. I let it go to voicemail. Most of the time, it's a marketing call. Occasionally, it's someone I want to talk to and they'll leave a message. This is why you shouldn't answer the phone if you don't know who's calling. That's because they might record your voice and use it to impersonate you. So the best thing to do is don't answer the phone. If you get a call from a number you know is connected to a scammer or telemarketer, block it. You can do this as many times as you need to. And if you don't know how to block calls, Google it. Call blocking and you'll get plenty of answers. Now let's play Let's Pretend. For a moment, pretend that you are invisible and could go anywhere without being seen. Cool, huh? Now imagine that you are invisible and want to be seen, but you have no control over your visibility. Now think of a trip to the doctors with your son or daughter or other young person, and the doctor talks only to the youngster. It's as if you're not even there. It's called ageism, and it happened to me. Becky Salazar of the Egyptian Agency on Aging says one in five older adults report experiencing discrimination in health care, making it difficult to obtain proper care. Well, uh, it seems that uh, persons that are older, if they're out in the community, if maybe they go to a doctor's appointment or if they're at the pharmacy or somewhere, uh, even a store, and there's someone younger with them like their daughter or grandkid, uh, the person that they're interacting with at the business will talk to the other person, not the older person, you know, almost assuming that it's the older person couldn't understand or they need help. And, and a lot of people are, you know, just fine in their cognitive capacities. They're just out with someone for socialization. And, um, and so it's, it's kind of these assumptions that older people maybe don't understand what's going on or they need assistance understanding or um, that they rely on younger people for help. And it's, I mean, it is the case sometimes, but certainly not always. I have a friend of mine uh, I would visit in St. Louis periodically. And we would go to a restaurant or something, and people would address her instead of me. And, and I didn't understand it and, until you mentioned this. I, didn't, I thought, what the, what's wrong? She's a kid. So, so that probably was ageism. Yes, um, and I, I don't know. It's uh, like in society, we start to think certain things about people just because they're older. You know, they're um, not as physically capable, mentally capable. And uh, I think if, if you look at the research, it shows that people are uh, doing things physically they haven't done. There are people doing marathons and triathlons well into their 80s and people that are uh, advancing science in later years. So um, I think that our kind of stereotypes in our head are, are, are not being fair to older adults. Uh, there's a friend of mine in West Frankfurt named Jay. He's in his late 70s. He works out every single day and he bicycles around town. He's in you know, excellent physical condition. And I have seen people who are in their 50s and 60s who are in good physical condition and they're sharp mentally as well. Yes, and um, I'm, I'm thinking the way to combat this is just to uh, be, a, be a role model and speak up. If, if you go to a doctor's appointment and the doctor starts talking to your daughter who might be with you, say, I'm right here. I, I understand what you're saying. You can speak to me. You know, I think uh, the more we do of that, they'll, they'll take note and they'll start talking to the older person. Uh, telling me that just annoys me. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> now that I know why that was happening. No, I well, I I've just been reading more on the subject, and um, it's occurred to me since we work with older adults. I'm thinking how frustrating that must be to be of your sound mind. If I went somewhere and they didn't talk to me and they spoke to my daughter, I would be, I'd be hurt by it. I really would. Okay, so we're talking about out and about in the community, and of course, ageism is something that's well known in the workplace. Yes, uh, you know, people have reported um, maybe uh, when cuts are made, the older persons are cut first, or or it's harder to get a job when you get older. You know, there they'll, they'll, has been reports of that in research, and uh, I think there's been different legislation trying to fight this, but I, I think a lot of people, you know, you can talk to people and they'll say they feel some way that being older in the workforce has hurt them. Now, I've heard that companies, when they start cutting, they cut the people who are making the most money, and obviously the people who have been there the longest will be making the most money, and they will be close to retirement. Yes, so it's a financial, probably, um, positive for them to cut those that have been there the longest. But I think sometimes to the person, it feels like they they see that they're not as contributing as they used to and not not sure it probably is based more on financial than anything but I think that the person kind of internally takes that as I'm not able to contribute as much and you know that goes into other things you know, uh, when people start believing some of those stereotypes they start doing less uh, f- feeling less good about themselves and that ultimately leads to um, you know, actually declining cognitively and physically because you're not doing as much. So um, I think the most important thing is to combat the stereotypes and just keep thinking and moving and doing and not devaluing yourself just because you're getting older. It never occurred to me to devalue myself because I was getting older. Um, But I could see how it could happen if I were working in a a corporation and was laid off for just because of money. Now, here in southern Illinois, what is your organization going to be doing to spread this word? Well, we, um, I wrote an article that went out in Senior Views, and then uh, anytime we go out and do presentations or speaking engagements, uh, we'll talk to seniors just about uh, this issue and, and just trying to reinforce that um, it's, it's not too late to start a new hobby, to um, not give up on things just because they're getting older. Sometimes you have to make some uh, adaptations to to continue to do things. Uh, one of the examples is uh, gardening. A lot of people love to garden and um, or have flowers, so they have now raised beds where people, if you can't get on the ground, and now they're higher. So there's things you can do in most activities that you can adapt and be able to do them, you know, way into your later years. Uh, the only other thing is I've uh, read Deepak Chopka. I don't know if I say his name correctly, but uh, he has a lot of things about aging. And I love his attitude and, and kind of philosophy, but he's looked at other countries and other countries that view aging differently than, say, the United States, where they don't think that you retire and you quit doing things and, you know, uh, kind of the sentiment that, am I getting too old to do this? And there are some countries where that never comes to play. And there are people that all the way until 
they're living till 100 and they're physically active and engaged the entire time because of their cultural mindset to just that you know you age but your body and mind can keep going and they don't they don't think negatively about aging and so i i think obviously aging is going to have an impact but the the less that your mind has the better off you'll be becky salazar of the egyptian agency on aging And remember, boomers, advancing age does not mean automatically losing abilities and independence. Instead, think growing older brings new opportunities rather than poorer health and lessened abilities. The mindset is such a strong component in the aging process. Changing the ideas about aging in society is needed, but it must start at a personal level. That means we baby boomers have to do it. Okay, uh, enough of this serious stuff. Let's talk about... Beer. I remember back in the 60s, the Hams commercials for Hams beer. And I remember watching a baseball game, a doubleheader on uh, Channel 9 in Chicago. Lloyd Pettit and Jack Brickhouse were uh, doing the play-by-play. And uh, after every inning, they had a Hams commercial and they took a sip of Hams. Well, after a uh, double hitter, <laughs> Lloyd Pettit and Jack Brickhouse were s- sitting there going, <laughs> too many beers, which reminds me of Bob Smith. All right, Bob Brickman, we have some unique brain teasers for you and the OK Boomer listeners today, <laughs> and it involves beer commercials from years ago, things we heard when we were kids. Okay, Bob, you've lived in Milwaukee area now for a while? Uh, About 40 years. Really? Yeah. Jeez, okay. But before you came, you knew what made Milwaukee famous. What was it, of course? Uh, Beer. That's right. I I heard about it all my life. Yeah. No matter where you lived in the United (laughs) States, you heard about Milwaukee beer. That's right. Different beers. And there were uh, lots of them, lots of them, still are. But what were the four top national brands of beer and maybe a slogan if you can remember one. Oh, that came out of Milwaukee? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well... Give me four. All right. Um, the uh, Blatt's beer was uh, I'm from Milwaukee and I ought to know... You see? Isn't that crazy yeah. that stayed in your head? <laughs> I'm from I, Milwaukee. I love that song. I, that still sings in my head. I remember because, you know, I'd see this stuff on... My dad watched all kind of sports, so it would be on all the ball games. Yeah. You know, these... Yeah commercials or on TV at night. That's right. But okay. that one, that one especially, remind, I love the sound of it. I'm from Milwaukee and I ought to know, it's draft fruit, flat beer, wherever you go. Smoother and fresher, a spilling that's clear, that's is Milwaukee's finest beer. Did you like hearing it again? <laughs> that was great. <laughs> All right, here's another one I okay. remember, and this is, uh, let's see. Schlitz, the beer that made Milwaukee famous. That's right. If you like it light with a big taste too, there's only one brew that will do when you're out of Schlitz. Unthinkable. You're out of beer, real gusto in the great light beer Schlitz. The beer that made Milwaukee famous. Yeah, my dad had a big Schlitz sign that said that up in his bar. That's right, because your dad had a bar uh-huh. in the Milwaukee's north side. And uh, we, we had a few of the signs and stuff from that for a while, uh-huh. didn't we? I think Ben Ben has the clock now. He's got the. Uh, I saw. I'm not going to say what clock because that's an, another answer. Oh, uh, Paps Blue Ribbon. <laughs> that's right. I saw that it, when we were out there visiting him. He's got that clock. That's right. What do you have, Paps Blue Ribbon? What do you have, Paps Blue Ribbon? What do you have, Paps Blue Ribbon? Paps Blue Ribbon, dear. 
Did that refresh your memory? Yes, it refreshed it does. mine. Yes. <laughs> okay. And uh, and I think at the younger generation, here's one I don't remember hearing this. PBR me ASAP. That sounds like the <laughs> texting era. Yeah, you're right. You're right. That must be what it's from. Okay, and give me one more big one. Still here. Miller. That's it. Miller. And, uh, of course, Miller Lite. Uh, great taste, less filling. Uh-huh, and then, uh, wait a minute. Miller High Life, the champagne of bottled beer. There you go. Beer. The champagne of bottled beer. That's the one that rings in me. And it's Miller time. That you've was like got the, the time. Oh, that's right. If you've got the time, we've, we've got, got the, the beer. beer. Okay, we beer better move after on. Beer after beer. Wait a minute, we could hear it. If you've got the time, we've got the beer. Beer after beer. If you've got the time, you've got the time. We've got the beer. Miller beer. There, now that sounded better than you and me singing. <laughs> Did it? Did it? Uh, Okay. All right, move on. All right, so we went down memory lane with beer and all of those songs we learned the words to before we were ever of drinking age. Oh, yeah. This was just stuff that seeped into our consciousness as kids. Beer and cigarettes were the big commercials on TV. Constantly. Constantly. Now it's for... It's pharmaceuticals. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> Which cigarettes and beer screwed you up on. <laughs> well, that's why we have pharmaceuticals. <laughs> yeah, that's what, It's a logical line of thinking that's here. That's right. Cause yeah. and effect, I think uh-huh. it's called. That's the reason we have all the pharmaceuticals, because there was too much beer and cigarettes back in the day. All right. That's it for today. This is Bob and Marcia Smith. We just want to remind everyone, if they'd like to join us on the web, they can come to our site at theofframp.show. Back to Robert P. Rickman and O.K. Boomer. I kind of like the way you guys sang that. And uh, those uh, beer commercial songs, I haven't heard most of them for maybe half a century, so that was a, a really nice little program you guys put together, and I did like your singing. Now, let's stay in the past a little bit, but let's move forward to the mid-1970s. When I graduated SIU, I was a radio and TV major, and my first commercial station I worked at, and I'm not going to tell you where it is or what the station was, because I was very critical of it. It seemed like the music director uh, dropped all the possible music in the world into a hat and just picked one out and wrote it down, and we had to follow it. So you'd have, say, a rock song, and then uh, maybe uh, a country song, and then you'd have Montavani with with a, with a a really quiet song, and then you'd have a Bible song. You'd have all sorts of stuff, and um, it drove some of the announcers nuts because we couldn't segue go from one to the other. Well, a program came on in the 1970s called WKRP in Cincinnati, and they had changed the format from something that we had been using at the station I had been to rock. And the disc jockey, Johnny Fever, uh, was sitting there at the program change from the stuff they were playing to rock, and he took the tone arm and the cartridge and scratched across the record. Cincinnati, it is time for this town to get down. You got Johnny. Dr. Johnny Fever, and I am burning up in here. We all in critical condition, babies. But you can tell me where it hurts, because I got the healing prescription here from the big KRP musical medicine cabinet. 
Now, I am talking about your 50,000 watt intensive care unit, babies. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide and say, give it to me straight, doctor. I can take it. I thought, man, I wanted to do that many times at this station. Never got a chance, though, or I would have gotten into trouble. Well, Roger Ramjets goes back to those exciting times to the theme of WKRP Cincinnati. Today's favorite is WKRP in Cincinnati by Steve Carlson. WKRP was a TV show I really enjoyed. It was pretty realistic compared to most TV shows or movies that had a radio station in the story. This is likely due to the fact that the creator of the show, Hugh Wilson, had actually worked in a radio station. Steve Carlisle knew Hugh Wilson, which is how he got the singing gig. The producers of the record were Jerry Buckner and Gary Garcia. Anybody remember their song, Pac-Man Fever? Along with the single that was released to the public, there were also custom versions sent to radio stations with the station's call letters in the lyrics. This was obviously done in the hope of generating more airplay for the record. Uh, It didn't seem to help as the song only got to number 65 on the Hot 100 and number 29 on the Adult Contemporary chart. I was working at KCRG in Cedar Rapids at the time, and we got one of those custom versions. R-R-P. Here's Steve Carlisle's 1981 WKRP in Cincinnati. I'm a WKRP in Cincinnati. And now I'm on WDBX in Carbondale. What do you think of that, Colleen? Okay, Boomer. Well, you approve of it. Let's get up. Oh, it always hurts. Remember, I'm one of the people that they don't talk to when I'm with a kid. And let's walk. Well, let's, let's go to the subway station, the WDBX subway station. I don't think you've heard about that. Open the door here and... Yeah, I have to pay to get in there. And uh, yeah, train is ready to go to, let's see, Albuquerque, New Mexico. They're closing the doors now and they're on the way. This is a very unusual radio station. Let's go to the coffee room. And the coffee is done. Mmm. It's delicious as usual. Hey, everybody. It's the White Raven from the Hot, Hot, Hot Louisiana Gumbo Pot right here on WDBX, Sundays, 12 to 2. Join me and all the Gumbo Pot heads where I'll be bringing you all the best music from Louisiana, New Orleans, the Bayou, with a little bit of Delta Blues thrown in for good measure. So all you swamp rats, grab your Zydeco shoes, meet me in the gumbo pot at high noon. We always pass a good time, Chef. Peace, love, and Zydeco. Aye! It is hot, mmm, in a gumbo pot. 
Hi, I'm Bob Smith. I'm Marcia Smith. The world is dark enough. So we like to keep it fun and light. Join us for 30 minutes of fact-filled fun every week. On the Off-Ramp Trivia Podcast. You'll hear fascinating facts about history, music, discovery, weird animals, and everything in between. Including little-known facts about well-known people. Each week. Right here on The, the Off-Ramp. Ramp. Find us wherever you get your podcasts or visit us online at theofframp.show. Are you an aspiring author looking to get your book published? Look no further than Tech Time Publishing Company. At Tech Time, we specialize in bringing the best books to readers everywhere. Our team of experienced editors and designers work closely with authors to bring their stories to life, ensuring every book is of the highest quality. But that's not all. Tech Time also offers a unique service to translate and narrate books and revenue sharing. This means that our talented team of translators and narrators will be compensated with a share of the book sales. So whether you're an author, translator, or narrator, Tech Time is the place to be. Join our community of book lovers and let us help you bring your stories to the world. Visit our website today to learn more. That's techtime.it. Tech Time. .it Well, it's happened to me and it's probably happened to you. It happened to me many times. I was having a delicious dinner with my family when a dollop of politics was added to the dessert and the dinner wasn't so delicious anymore. Soon, members of the family were chewing aggressively between snarls. So much for dessert. But there is another way to approach such family conversations, or should I say arguments. You see, Kathy had some problems in her childhood, some, some big problems. The fact that we, what we do share is that kind of really lack of, of intimacy and emotion growing up has affected all of my relationships as an adult. Okay. So it is something that I, this is important to me that you give us tools because it's not just about my relationship with Matt, but it's about my relationships in general. Now enter Chuck Stone of Braver Angels, a national organization formed to bridge the partisan divide. Uh, Robert, we teach communication skills for polarized times. And the reason that we teach it is that I think we've all gotten into really bad habits about the political divide and seeing each other as the enemies. And so people have really stopped having conversations. And even with people, you know, that they know and love in their family or friends or coworkers or so forth, are either afraid to talk about politics now um, or they've tried it and it's just come out so badly. So we look at the bad habits and, you know, for us as people, it, they're really bad. They lead to isolation from people who should be really important to us and it can lead to depression and anxiety. But as a nation, it's really horrible. And I think, you know, uh, there was a poll recently that uh, over 70% of Republicans and Democrats agreed on something, which is unusual, but it's that our democracy is actually in danger of collapse. And that's from people stereotyping people on the other side. And uh, what we do at Braver Angels, we bring people together for conversations, and they almost always like each other. And these two things are going on at, at the same time, stereotyping the other side as being horrible, and then people meet each other and they like each other. So anyway, the first step is to get people to actually uh, think that maybe they could learn something, change their habits a little bit and some of their reflexes 
and uh, and go at it in a conversation that is not uh, an attempt to win. That's the thing. You have to uh, want to explore how somebody else thinks, connect with them, get to know them a little bit, uh, and just talk to them and not demand that they believe everything that you believe. And I, I really love the name of your show. I told you this, Robert, before, the OK Boomer. And it's one of those phrases that have creeped or crept into our uh, lexicon that uh, for dismissing, you know, whole big groups of other people. Uh, OK Boomer, there's the mansplaining. Uh, there's talk to the hand, because I don't want to hear it. Just talk to my hand. Uh, and shut up, Karen. And, you know, all of these, there's kind of a reason for it. There's, I can understand, I'm a boomer, and I can understand why a younger person doesn't want to hear the way the world was when I was young. Uh, but to dismiss a whole group of people, and most of the dismissals are aimed at you and me, Robert, by the way. <laughs> um, so anyway, that's what we're doing. And um, one of our founders is a family and marital therapist named Bill Doherty. And uh, he has a program called Helping Loved Ones Divided by Politics, where he brings uh, a married couple or a, a dating couple, or in this case, cousins together uh, to try to get them past a kind of a, a bad spot in talking. Now back to Kathy. Now listen carefully to the way she articulates her side of what turned out to be a debate with her cousin. Then we'll hear Chuck offer ways to diffuse the debate and turn it into a civil discussion. I think it's absolutely insane that that is even a public policy issue now. The fact that city councils are even discussing what we do about these statues. They represent a time in history, and it's a slippery slope for us to be erasing history. We're doing it in our textbooks. We're doing it in our schools. And we're doing it in statues. I mean, a statue, it, you can view it as a work of art. You can view it as a time capsule of history. And if you don't like it, and certainly there are statues that represent something that you may or may not like, then you can discuss it. You can bring your children by and say, look at this statue. It bothers me because it represents a time that, or this, this individual did something that I don't necessarily agree with. But that doesn't mean that you rip it down. It doesn't mean that you go and spray paint it or an angry mob gets together and goes and pulls it down in the middle of the night. That's anarchy. I, I think there's absolutely no place in our society to have that kind of anarchy. And I think make it a teaching moment, make it an opportunity to say, this is how I feel about things. Obviously the people who voted to put this up feel differently about it. Or if you live in a city where, you know, nine tenths of the community thinks it's an abomination, then you go through the proper channels of, you know, bringing it to a vote. But, but again, I think that's a slippery slope. I think once you start erasing parts of history, where do you stop? I mean, if we really are taking down statues with the basis of character of the person, we would erase all of history. All of us have character flaws. So you want to take down statues of the people because their character flaws, you know, mean more to you than to somebody else. I mean, I, again, I just think there's, once you start that, there's no stopping it. We, we've stopped the tape. And now the question is, what should Kathy's cousin, Matt, how should he respond? Uh, Kathy has already taken things in a, in a kind of bad direction with her opening line. You know, there's these conversations don't happen on a blank slate. We all know that there's been a lot of fighting and, and so forth from political conversations. Um, so when she said, I think it's absolutely insane. And basically the position that her cousin 
was taking. Uh, that's a problem. It's not an invitation to a, a conversation. It's an invitation to a fight. Yeah, there is one other thing that Kathy said that is, uh, it happens all the time. And that's that she referred to uh, Matt and, you know, your side is making a mismanaged attempt to do so. your side. And, you know, it's Kathy and Matt. It's two cousins who love each other talking together. That's all it is. It's a conversation. When you're talking to a friend or a family member, a coworker, whoever, it's not, you're not representing a side. You may not believe everything that your side represents, and you shouldn't put that on the other person. Leave the sides out of it. It's, you know, it's Robert and, and Chuck, or it, it, it's whoever's talking is talking to individuals, um, and things will go much smoother. The skills that we teach rely in part on what's called active listening. So it's just reflecting back. And what you're doing is proving to the person by paraphrasing what they said, proving that you heard them, proving that you're listening without arguing, putting your own opinion in or anything. So uh, from what Kathy said, you know, uh, Matt could have said something like, um, I hear you saying that the, there's uh, kind of a slippery slope from removing monuments that really erases history. You, you're worried that we're erasing history, something like that. So uh, just reflecting back something that she said. He could have agreed with something, and there was actually uh, things that somebody on Matt's side could have agreed with. So, you know, I agree with you that somebody in the middle of the night tearing down a statute is anarchy. I don't agree with that. There needs to be an orderly process. So finding something that you agree with before you state your own position, very powerful, very important. Uh, he could have pointed out an underlying value and he might've said something related. So uh, to you, democracy means a kind of orderliness where everybody's uh, our representatives and everybody's opinion gets taken into account, not just what one small group of individuals wants to do something like that. So democracy requires an orderliness to decisions. So that's looking at her underlying values and pointing them out. And <clears throat> you might not agree with her position, but you can see the values that you share in common. And uh, yeah, orderliness is important. Um, or you could ask a question and this is a tricky part to ask a question to understand her better. And right now, I can tell you there's an epidemic of questions that are designed to teach a lesson to the other side. You know, show them how foolish they've been and how they have to agree with you. And we know this from our workshops where we get people together and there is a we separate them uh, by, you know, reds and blues. And they're supposed to come up with a question for the other side. And time after time after time, it's about the 20th question before they get one that isn't a teaching a lesson to them kind of a question. Uh, but he could have asked, uh, Matt could have asked Kathy, there's something like, what do you mean exactly by erasing history? Could you explain that a little bit more so that he could understand a little better what she was, what she meant by that? Or are there particular statutes that you're worried are going to get torn down if there is a kind of this slippery slope thing. Those things allow her to continue talking, which is exactly the opposite of the bad reflexes that we're in right now, which is as soon as somebody says something that we disagree with, you know, we jump in and we got to correct them right now. That turns it from being 
a conversation into a debate. I've noticed this myself when I was in some of the senior citizen centers in the counties in Southern Illinois. Somebody would say something and the first impulse would be to argue with them. And once or twice I did, but then I thought, wait a minute, I'm trying to get along with the people there. So I spent more time listening than anything else. Yeah, well, that that's wonderful. And that's it's kind of recognizing the reflex and it isn't really working. Uh, so the agreement is it's kind of like the reflecting back. It's a way of connecting with them that, yeah, they're not all wrong. Yeah, I have my own opinion. I'm going to not agree with you totally, but I can agree with you on this part. And that's kind of a way to build trust. That's a part of it. And the other thing that if we were to play, you know, what Matt said, he went on for about five minutes without really engaging with uh, Kathy. And he raised, you know, five, six, seven different points. And when you do that, that's another way to turn a conversation into a debate. So uh, the trick is to kind of pass the ball back to the other person, let them have their turn, make your point, let them uh make a point about, you know, say what they thought about what you said. So it's a, a kind of a back and forth type thing. So are you interested in not getting into those tiring arguments? Contact Chuck at Seastone. Here, here's the uh, email address, cstone at braverangels.org. Braver Angels are together. Seastone at braverangels.org. Or go check out the website, uh, braverangels.org. Now here uh, in Southern Illinois, we're looking for a place to sponsor this type of debate or a way to diffuse the debate. And all you have to do is go to my Facebook page, OK Boomer, and leave me a message and maybe you can find some place to uh, uh, hold those particular lessons. Okay, Boomer. Okay, Laura Lee. Let's go on to retirement. Yep. Do you remember last week when Mark Miller had this to say? As he said, Mark said, uh, they're ready to retire until they're not. Yes, that's Mark Miller quoting himself. Now, Mark Miller runs the CareerPivot.com website and hosts the podcast Repurpose Your Career. Repurpose Your Career is for those of us in the second half of our lives. Mark has made six career pivots over the last 30 years, and now he's retired at least partially, and lives with his wife in Mexico. Mark tells me that retiring these days is um, not as simple as it used to be like in our father's and mother's time. Because one of the things you've got to start looking at, okay, um, if I am going to retire, or, or can I find work, or do I have to start looking to do things other than what I've always traditionally done? Um. We have seen a number of industries been, you know, hotel, again, particularly in the hospitality uh, and travel, uh, we've had certain areas just decimated. Um, a good example, I've got a good friend who's been on my podcast multiple times, Tom Singer. He was a full-time public speaker. He mostly spoke about networking at association meetings. He made a really nice business for himself. That was wiped out in February of 2020. And he finally went and he, <clears throat> he was doing all kinds of stuff. Uh, he became an executive recruiter. 
Um, he was doing virtual, he, he was producing multiple podcasts for people. And the reality was he finally ended up taking a, he's the CEO of um, Austin Technology Council now. He just couldn't wait for the meeting business to come back. He's still doing it, but the meeting business has not come back. And will it come back to what it was? I don't know. Um, I had Fawn Germer on my podcast. She wrote a book called Coming Back. And one of her um, chapters, which I found quite fascinating, was it's not about your experience. If you have 30 years of experience, who cares if it's not relevant? Are you relevant? Okay. You come out of broadcasting. Okay. Podcasting is different than broadcasting. It is. A lot of the same skills. Yes. Right? Similar to me. I did a lot of voiceovers. I did. I produced a lot of online training. Um, a lot of that's transferable to podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, but now you're a podcaster. You have to learn how to promote, market. Which no, is this on me. Yeah, there's, there's a lot of stuff that you need to learn how to do. Yeah, and I'm seeing that. My brain is starting to explode. Um, why did you move to Mexico? And where are you living specifically? And what would you recommend to somebody who might be wanting to leave the country? Okay. Um, I've worked in 40 different countries. I've worked all over the world in my tech career. I was a geek that could speak. So, and back in 1983, I spent six months in what then was West Germany, working for IBM. And my wife came over for the second three months. And we thought, hey, sometime I would become an expat. My employer would move me overseas. That never happened. Then, as we talked before, my I got my October surprise in October of 2016, which had nothing to do with Hillary Clinton. My health insurance exploded. And I went... This is stupid. And that's when we started exploring moving outside the U.S. And it is, I can, I can culturally integrate anywhere. I trained engineers in China. I spent four years going in and out of China, mainland China. And I claimed the more I understood the Chinese, the less I understood them. Um, and it's not for everybody. But. Um, and my, and if you told me six years ago that I would be now living in Mexico and my wife would be very happy, I would have told you, you were smoking something and yes, you were inhaling. <laughs> no, I wasn't. Uh, we'll talk about Mark Miller's trip, uh, retirement to Mexico next time. Mark Miller hosts the podcast, repurpose your career and his website is careerpivot.com. Now let's talk politics, okay, with you, Emily? Okay, Boomer. Okay. Um, We're going to be talking about a politician back in the 1960s when we were kids, Everett Dirksen. Now here's, I'm sorry, here's a news conference with Everett Dirksen. I'm Alan Robin, and I was sitting here with my partner, Mr. Earl Dowd. Good evening. And also with Mr. Westbrook Van Voorhees, Mr. John St. Ledger, and Mr. John Cameron Swayze. And the five of us are going to conduct a series of simulated press conferences. We've taken the actual recorded voices of the president and other prominent political people 
and we put their answers with questions entirely of our own making. Well, why did we ever do a thing like that? Well, I don't know, but I think it sounds much more interesting. Senator, it is our pleasure to speak with you here tonight. As Republican Minority Leader in the Senate, your views on affairs of state and on the political scene are always in demand. Senator, what's new? Well, if I gave you a direct answer, it would be almost a prejudgment of an issue on which testimony is still to be taken. <laughs> Senator, your political flamboyance is such that when coupled with your flowery oratory, there are those among the opposing party who say that you are actually nothing but a buffoon. I do not disagree. <laughs> Senator, I wonder if we can get some insight on your colorful career. Well, I know of no reason why we shouldn't. Well, then, why did you decide to become a United States Senator? Because that was my first job after I got out of high school. <laughs> Mr. Uh, Mr. Van Voorhees. Now, Senator, not to bring up a sore point, but you did nominate Mr. Goldwater in Chicago, did you not? So to speak. <laughs> Senator, are you denying it? I think so. <laughs> well, regardless, what do you think Mr. Goldwater and Mr. Miller should do during the coming years? I think they can very usefully get a lot of indoctrination by going to any party county headquarters, stuffing envelopes, getting to see people, develop a poise uh, as they see candidates and others come in. Uh, run errands and so forth. <laughs> with party organization and machinery. And then it becomes part of their nature and it makes for uh, a deftness in the political field. <laughs> Mr. Swayze. Senator, do you think the Republican Party will stage a comeback in 1968? I know of no reason why it should. Uh, well, in your own mind, do you see a candidate emerging for 1968? No, I don't. Well, then where do you think the Republican candidate will come from in 1968? Out of the woodwork. <laughs> Senator, how are the Democrats reacting to the news that Mr. Goldwater may step down as head of the Republican Party. They resent it. <laughs> we continue the questioning now with Mr. St. Ledger. Senator, there's a move afoot to curtail the filibuster. I think I can say this. Excuse me, are my eyes deceiving me or is that a naked girl sitting up there on the Senate balcony? I think one can say reasonably that this has occupied the attention of the Senate since the 9th of January. <laughs> Looking back, Senator, over your career, has there been one outstanding statement that you've made to your colleagues in your many years in the Senate? There has been. May I ask what it was? Little Tom Thumb. Pulled out a plum, as you know. <laughs> Mr. 
We noticed that you were conspicuous by your absence at the Washington Senator's opening game this year, an event which normally attracts the political leaders of both parties. Why was that? First, I had not been invited. Secondly, I, there was no hint that I would be invited. We understand. Third, I was not invited by anybody. <laughs> We're a little short of time, sir. Fourth, I would not know if I was invited. No, we, we understand. There were two reasons why I wouldn't go. It wasn't an important question, sir. My Senate duties here are taxing enough as it is, and they are continuous. I would not like to see the implication go out. Uh, we have been talking with the Senate Minority Leader. Uh, we're sure he has enjoyed it as much as we have. I don't think so. <laughs> and that was then-Senator Edward Dirksen from Illinois back in the 1960s. Okay, kid? Okay, boomer. Hey, tax time on the 15th. Let's hear about it. Here are your AARP top tips on tax advice for older adults. The IRS gives special breaks to older adults. As you prepare your taxes, here are four ways you can trim that total. Consider the standard deduction rather than the itemized one. People who are 65 and older get a larger standard deduction, $1,300 more per person if you're married and $1,650 more if you're filing a single. The standard deduction is simpler than itemizing and usually results in lower taxes. Itemizing your deductions may require you to tally up lots of receipts. But if you have lots of deductions, such as business expenses, mortgage interest, and charitable donations, itemizing might be worth the extra work. Which brings us to our next tip. Itemize and deduct medical expenses if you have big healthcare costs exceeding 7.5% of your adjusted gross income. You may want to forego the standard deduction so you can deduct some of those medical expenses. Doctor's bills, wheelchairs, dental care, hearing aids, guide dogs, eyeglasses, nursing help, even some insurance premiums are all deductible and will help reduce your taxable income, so keep those receipts. Get the tax credit for the elderly or disabled with low income. A credit comes straight off your tax payment, so this is a powerful one. You have to be 65 or older or disabled and with qualifying low income to get it. The tax credit ranges from $3,750 to $7,500. Contribute more to your IRA. If you're 50 or older and have a traditional IRA, you can contribute up to $7,000 per year. Traditional 401k plans also allow people 50 and over to pitch in additional contributions. Both of these types of additional contributions could lower your taxable income. If you can afford it, tax experts say go for the max. For more tips to help you with your taxes, visit aarp.org taxes. And that wraps up OK Boomer on WDBX. I'd like to thank Becky Salazar, Mark Miller, Bob and Marsha Smith, Chuck Stone, and Kathy, Janice Paul, and Roger Ramjet. See you next time. I'm Robert Rickman. 